Good morning, Hukunui. So today's reading will be going through Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. So if you have Bibles, turn there, please. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 1 verse 15 to 23. Thanks, Ephraim. Uh, great to hear the, the Word of God uh, read out. Um, I'd just like to invite Shane uh, Wildermoth up. Shane's going to be bringing us the um, message today from those verses. Um, Shane, I'd just like to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you uh, for Shane's willingness to bring um, your message today. Lord, we just pray and thank you for the time that he's put into um, studying your word for this message. And Lord, we just pray that you will give him clarity of thought and mind as he, as he shares what you have laid in on his heart. And Lord, we just pray as a church, as a congregation, that each of us will, um, our ears will be open to hear the Word of God, um, that we will allow it to um, challenge us and stir us and move us. Um, and Lord, that we will be open to what you want to say to us through this, we pray. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. What a, what a great joy it is to hear the Bibles opening up um, as we were reading this morning. It's something that I think that uh, is missing a lot today in churches where people actually open their Bibles up and listen to, the, to what's being said and uh, see if what the preacher is saying is actually what's being said in the Bible. So that's a great joy. And it's a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's been a year, I think, since I was here last time. I think that's right, isn't it, Andrew? Yeah, something like that. And it's just a privilege to be here in the new building. We're going to do this through Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. And just as I said, just recently I, I had the privilege of doing a series in our Equip class, which is basically an adult Bible school, but it's called Equip. Um, and it was called Clashing Cultures, Hot Topics in Today's Society. And it was looking at as how as Christians we face subjects of today's world, which uh, from a Christian worldview, and it covered areas like uh, is the Bible relevant in today's world? Covered areas like Christian exclusivity, gender, abortion, uh, and many others. And there were topics in there that I had to, to teach on that uh, would cause people to call me a bigot, a t- intolerant, um, hate speech. But it, it, it was really one of those areas that uh, needed a lot of study, a lot of research. And I I felt we did it over eight weeks, so I think I did eight university courses in about three months. But realising that, um, this was a p- pretty um, touchy subject that I was, I was given, 
I needed a prayer team that were going to constantly pray for me, that was going to bring me before the Lord and bring the study before the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I appreciated that team a lot because they would commit me to prayer in my preparation and in my delivery. And the reason was there were many attacks by the enemy as I took on these subjects. And I know that it is because of that prayer team that those attacks did not prosper. And we were able to um, talk at those, those subjects. We had open discussion in the, in the hall. Uh, we had about 140 attending, so you imagine some of the questions we were getting. But it was great because I had the prayer team behind me. And while I was speaking, they were in a room praying for me. And those attacks just did not prosper, no matter what Satan tried. You see... What we've got to recognise in Christ is we are a team, a body. It's not just one person. It's a body that is working together, praying for each other. And as we see the world dropping the ball, if you like, in truth, and you've got to stand up for truth in this world, we need each other. We need each other. And it's only as we grow in our faith and prayer and a commitment to the Word of God that we can really only just stand firm in, in Christ. And that's what I want to bring to you today as we look at this. You cannot do it alone. I cannot do it alone. We need each other. And we find here Paul is, is, is in a similar situation. He's off in prison, but he's, well, who's he praying for? He's not praying for himself. He's praying for the Ephesians. And you, you know, he started this church in, back in Acts 19. I'm not sure what you went over last week, so I'm going to try not to go over what you went over last week. Um, but he started that church and he'd been away for a number of years. And there were a number of new people in the church, many new Christians had joined the church. He didn't know them all, but he was praying for them. The importance of praying for one another. And I've got to ask you just straight out, do you pray for your fellow Christians here in Hokanui Bible Church? Do you actually sit down and pray for a brother and sister? You know, often prayer happens when there's a struggle. Can you pray for me, please? But as Paul wasn't, he was praying for them all the time and he actually was giving thanks for them, even though he didn't even know them. And I think we, we in one area, I think as Christians, we drop the ball and that is praying for each other. Yeah, you know, we're all going through different things. And I see a lot of young people here. I guess a lot of you in uni and college and, and work, workforce. Are you praying for them in each other? We're praying for each other. But as he starts out here, one thing you notice about Paul here to help us stand firm in Christ is that he is thankful for one another. Now, I just wonder, are you thankful for your brother and sister that's sitting beside you? Or maybe the one at the back that you're trying to avoid? You know, are you thankful? And I think that's really important when we, we pray for each other, we thank God for each other. And I think as Gavin said earlier, we are all different. We've all come from different backgrounds. We've all got different stories. I work a lot in the community with, 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 with uh, single mums and, and drugs addicts and, and violent men. They all have different stories when they come to Christ. And we need to thank the Lord for that. So Paul's thanking them, and he says in verses 15 to 16, he, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith. I have heard of your faith. What a tremendous testimony. 
Paul's off in prison in Rome and he's hearing about this, this amazing faith in, 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 in the Ephesian believers. Now, we won't go further down into Revelation, what happens later on, but at this point, they were, had an amazing faith that was being heard about around, around the known world at that time. And what an encouragement it was for him. You know, he was just praying, thank you, Lord, for these Ephesian believers. Thank you, Lord, for the Hokanui Bible Church believers. Is our faith going out? Is our faith being seen? Is our faith in, in, in the places that we go? You know, I was talking yesterday to a teacher. Um, we, were, we were at a 60th birthday party and she's a teacher. And she said, it's getting harder and harder to teach because she's being told what she has to teach according to what the curriculums are saying they need to teach. And she said, it's getting harder and harder. I was talking to a nurse last week and she said, it's getting harder and harder for her as a Christian to be in the, the nursing industry because they've been told how they have to treat people instead of treating people on what they are. It's really interesting how we forget that people in the workforce are facing real difficulty as Christians. And we need to start praying for each other in that area and thank each other for, for each other and standing for our faith, standing up for the faith that we believe in. There are so many attacks. I don't know if you've, you, you've seen the attacks on the faith around the world today in Western world, in the Western countries. There is a real attack against faith. The faith of the Ephesians had reached the ears of Paul because they stood up in the face of all the idolatry in the town and the city of Ephesus. They stood up against all the prostitution in the city of Ephesus. They stood up and said, we stand for God and the truth of the Word of God. We stand for that, our faith is in Christ. And that's really where our identity is. It's not, not me who's, who's strong, it's Christ who's strong. And one of the saddest things I see is so many uh, Christians who are giving up on their faith to follow the way of the world. I see marriages, Christian marriages, disintegrating as people give up on their faith and someone I think it was Gavin was sharing, uh, Les was sharing about obeying the Word of God. So many are giving up on obedience to the Word of God. Where's our stand? Where's our faith? Paul was thanking uh, the Lord for the faith of these Ephesians because they saw it. Does Hukunui area or wherever you live, do they see our faith? Do they see the faith we have in Jesus Christ in the face of all that's going on in our world? But not only that, he thanks them for their love for each other. You know, that's, you'll know these verses, I'm pretty sure. It says this, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Listen to this. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love that Christ was talking about was the sacrificial love. You will stand with your, for your brother because you love or your sister because you love them in Christ. It's no good trying to pull your brother and sister. One of the, you know, it's interesting, we, we've, um, 
Bruce was there a couple of weeks ago. We were doing a funeral. That week we had three funerals at the chapel from outside the community. And a number of things that people have said is just a different atmosphere when they walk in there. We run a community cafe every Wednesday at the chapel. And I think our last one, because we stop over the hollows, we had over 120 people there from the community. And they often say it's because the atmosphere is different because they see how the Christians love one another and help one another. And we get into all sorts of conversations. The last one I had was on abortion with, the, with one of the ladies there. And, also, and we could sit down and talk. And that's because we've been sitting with them for probably five years now and every Wednesday morning having conversations that they brought this out. You see, when people see how you love one another and look out for one another and care for one another, that goes out into the community and they see that and they want to be part of that because today's community, today's world says, look after yourself, love yourself. You're the most important thing in the world. We need to show people that we love each other. So what does Paul do? He remembers them in prayer without ceasing, without ceasing. Praying for your brothers and sisters without seeing. Praying for them, for all the saints. And that's how he starts off this passage. We are the church of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Our identity is found in the body of Christ. And as one, we pray for one another. But then he goes on. And he says in verse 17, he wants us to know Christ better. He says, if that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, this to me is really the major objective of Christian life, to know Christ better. Paul said it in Philippians. You go into Colossians, you find it. You go into Romans, you find it. To know Christ better, to get to know him. And we need to ask ourselves, do, am I getting to know Christ better in my daily life? You know, so many will just come to church on a Sunday or come to the building on Sunday and sit here in the church, sing the songs, listen to the message and go out and say, that's it. Paul was praying that, that each one would know Jesus Christ better, that they would come to this knowledge and we need to ask ourselves, am I getting to know Christ better? Am I growing in who Christ is? And the one thing I've found is as you grow in Christ, the more you realise how much you need Christ. Because you, you, you recognise, man, I am so unworthy. We cannot learn about Christ until we understand more and more about Him. We need to grow in Him. And that should be what we're praying for one another, know Him better. It's sad that, you know, um, Andrew said to me on Thursday when I saw him that you're going through Ephesians as looking at identity. Well, I'd finished preparing this on Tuesday, so it's a bit on the fly here. But I just thought here, you know, your identity is not in Hukunui Bible Church. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And the more you understand who you are in Christ, the more possibilities there are for you to to, to, to do things for him, to serve him, to live out for him. You know, I often think back uh, as an atheist, I never had plans of going to the Philippines, never. In fact, I was going to be a foreman and I was going to run a business, a building. Never in my life did I think I'd be a pastor or a missionary. But God turned all that around. 
And as I learned about Christ, the more I realised there needed to be um, more message going out. And, and I love evangelism, as we all should. Just a little push there, Paul. <laughs> evangelism, College of Evangelism. But we're all evangelists because we take the message of Jesus Christ to people. It may not be preaching it on the streets. It may be not doing door knocking, but it may just be being with a mate next door, in your house with flatmates, at your school, being the person you, who God has intended to you, you to be. But you become more like that as you get to know Christ better. Because why? This is what Paul said and uh, John said, uh, sorry, Jesus said in John. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Know God, the only true God and Jesus Christ. That's how we grow. That's how we come to a greater understanding. We want this not just to be a head knowledge. It needs to be in here. It needs to be something we really uh, believe. It's the reason we exist as Christians, to know God better. And I hope this has happened. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Have the goal that Paul was praying that we will know Christ better. So Paul prays for them. He doesn't know their circumstances as he's way over in Rome. He can't pray for their daily problems because he can't, doesn't know them or pressures, but he can pray and does pray that they know God better. And I, I encourage you, pray for your fellow believers here that they, each one will know God better, know Christ better. Because as we know Christ, that's how we stand. That's how we stand. We stand firm in him. And he says to them, he wants their hearts to be in light. He doesn't just want it to be head knowledge. You know, so often our Christianity, our faith can be up here only. I know what the Bible says. I know what, who Christ is, but there's no passion. There's no understanding. There's no enlightened heart. You know, obviously uh, the men are rugby fans here. And that's why I noticed a smile this morning. I understand why. I watched the second game. I didn't get to see the first game because my wife likes Tagalog things, not rugby. My wife is Filipina. I watched the second game and boy, there was a big smile on my face at the end of that game too. There's a real passion. And what is your passion? Is it rugby? Or is it Christ? Is it work? Or is it Christ? What is the passion in your life? What does your heart know? The eyes of the mind can grasp doctrine and teaching. Okay, we have doctrines, we have teaching, and they are really important, believe me. We teach that at uh, Lake Learning in January, doctrine and teaching that we see with our minds. But it should transfer to the heart with a real passion of understanding. You know, sometimes you'll be explaining something to someone and I hear this phrase often, oh, I see it now. Well, you don't actually see it, but you suddenly understand it. And this is what Paul is asking or praying for the Ephesians. You didn't see it with your eyes, you, you saw it with your heart. 
And Paul prays that our hearts will be enlightened. He prays that, you know, in the Scriptures, the, the heart, of, heart is the, the basis of emotions. And when you read the Word of God, you know, do you get excited? Do you love reading the Word of God? You know, it's, it's like I said earlier, I love the sound of the Bible being open here as people read. So often, you can be the only one with the open Bible as you read the Scriptures. One of the greatest things I, I, I've found is the Word of God is really powerful. And uh, when, we, when we want to be really vital Christians, turned on Christians, Christians who want to serve for God, it comes from our understanding of what God is saying. It comes from, it's not a passion that's, you know, um, I, have, I have a passion for building. I love building. I do that on my days off. But it's different when I get into the Word of God and I see what God is saying and I, I just enjoy it. It's something that, you, you know, you want to put it down, but you can't because the Word of God is so powerful. It enlightens your heart. It gives you truth. If you're looking for truth, go to the Word of God. Pray that your brothers and sisters will have that patience and that passion, not just an intellect. You can sit down and debate. Great. You may know Hebrew. Great. You may know Greek. Great. But is there the passion of God in you? Our hearts are to be enlightened. And he says we need the, there's some things we need to understand to get that passion, to, to, to really grip us, really grab us. And the first thing is the hope in which he has called us. He talks about, sorry, I lost my, that's one of my problems when I preach, I lose my page because the Bible keeps flipping over. We lose, we, we get this passion and remembering the hope that he has called us to. The hope to which he has called the hope of being changed into who He is, being like Him, you know, changed into the image of Christ. I love the, the, some of the passages about hope, and I just went through some of them. And yep, we went through some of them. So I'm going to look, read some of them. 1 Peter 1, 3. We are born into a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born into this living hope. This world does not have hope. This world does not understand hope. But we've been, been born into a living hope, one that says, I will be with Christ when I pass on from this life. That's a hope that we have. 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. No matter what we're going through today here in this world, no matter what is happening, we look forward to the hope that we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ that is beyond, and I love this, beyond comparison. There's no words that can describe it. He says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you get this idea that Paul had real hope? I mean, he suffered. You read Corinthians, you find he's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's been hungry. All these things have happened, but he loves it because he can't compare it to the hope that he's going to face or get when he, he's with the Lord Jesus. There's no words to compare, that has a comparison for this hope. In other words, we must not look at this world around us 
as the world around us does, as this is all we'll ever get. But look to what is your future. Look to what is ahead. The world is telling us that, you know, if you never get it now, you're not going to get another chance. Hey, what this world offers is nothing, really. You know, part of my role is I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with a couple at the moment, married 30 years and have decided to break up. Christian couple, this is happening more and more often because they're not focusing on the hope that they have, not focusing on what they've got. We're not to think like that. We are to keep in front of ourselves. And this is why we pray for one another, that we will be remembering the hope we have. Paul tells us, and I'm sure some of us here understand it, that our bodies grow old. And some of the young people don't get that yet, but you will. Don't worry, I used to be like you. I used to lift up uh, great big windows by myself. Now I struggle to lift up a couple of pieces of wood. I used to run around chasing people with six metre pieces of four by two. Picking up a, yeah, that was before I was a Christian. <laughs> now picking up a six metre piece of four by two, you know, it takes a bit longer, a bit slower. But Paul noticed that as well. But he never lost heart. He never lost heart. He says, so do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It is important not to forget our hope is in an eternal glory. Our hope is an eternal hope that can't be taken away. Next thing he talks about is the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, this is an important truth, I think, but I think we misunderstand it in Ephesians. I think we talk about our inheritance, but actually here in Ephesians, what he says here, I'll get back to it, is that what are the riches of his, inglorious inherit, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? It is God's inheritance in us. It is his joy that we are his children. It is his joy that we have been able to draw on him. We are his inheritance. We often think of the inheritance we're going to receive. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying God sees us as his inheritance, sees us as the one he is. All through Scripture, we've been told that, that you know, we have this inheritance. But in this passage, he's talking about our, God's inheritance is us. And I love this quote. You know, often we get a bit down, we get, you know, we struggle and that. But I love what uh, Warren Worsby said, and I think this is something we need to take on. God deals with us on the basis of our future, not of our past. He looks to us, he sees, what can I do with this person? He looks at your potential. He doesn't look at what you've done in the past. Something I think as Christians we've got to get past is our past. You know, we, we've been forgiven. Don't go back all the time. God is saying, I want to deal with you in your future and what you can be and what you, you know. And I think there's examples of that in the Old and New Testament. I've only, I'll only do two today. But think of what, who I call cowardly Gideon. Judges, chapter, chapter six. Before Gideon even 
went out and did an amazing job. This is what the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. Gideon was weak. Gideon was a coward. Gideon was struggling. But what did the Lord say? O mighty man of valour. And he did become that, which is what God saw from the beginning. He saw what he was going to be, not what he was. And that's how God looks at us. He sees us what we can be, not at what we are. And that's an amazing thing. You know, the world looks at you and says, you're like this. But God looks at you and says, you're going to be like this. You're going to be like this. One of the New Testament, which has already been mentioned today, I call him volatile Peter. You know, we know Peter came to him and he'd be called a rock. But you understand, Peter, he was a raging man. You know, he was, he was, he was my kind of man, actually, you know get upset and really, you know, when I became a Christian, I, I, I'd, I say this not to boast or anything, but I say this because I'm very sorry about it. When people would debate me about who Christ was, I was ready to take them up with the fists. Okay, you think that Christ is not, not real? And that was Peter. He was ready to stand like that. But God saw Peter of what he could be. Yes, we heard about how he denied Christ, but you look into Acts, what did he do? He preached an amazing gospel. He saw thousands of people come to, be, come to know Christ. God saw what Peter could be, not what he was. And that's part of our hope. God sees you and says what you can be, not who you are today. Peter became a rock. He saw many uh, saved through his preaching. God saw what he was going to be in the future. And that is part of this in God's inheritance. He saw what you can be. The third aspect of this is he prayed about that we would know his incomparably great power, which is at work as us today who believe. Power seems to be a word that everyone wants around the world. If you look into it, and as I've done over the study, all our, I say, all the things that are coming out in our world today is all based around control and power. But I want to bring to you what Paul asked, and that's called the power of the resurrection in verses 19 to 21. I think often when we come to the resurrection, we often focus on the angel rolling away the stone. We focus on the, the, the earthquake. We focus on the terror of the Roman soldiers. We focus on the disciples running and finding the body of Jesus no longer there. But what we don't realise is those events followed the resurrection. The resurrection is the power. Raising Christ from the dead. He was already resurrected when these things took place. His body was laid in the tomb, wrapped in the grave clothes. And yet at the moment that God determined, the body left those grave clothes and rose again. Jesus passed through a great stone. It wasn't open when he went out. He disappeared. He was raised by God. This is the power that, that, that Paul is talking about here. And, and it wasn't a whole lot of people seeing him. And my point here is this. God's power is not a great big demonstration. It's a quiet, powerful thing that happens that doesn't 
demonstrate in a great big way. Jesus was not, you know, they didn't open the door and say, oh, Jesus, you're risen. No, God's demonstration of power was not to make a demonstration, it was power. And we're so used to power that, you know, we've got to see it. God's power of the resurrection was a silent, quiet power that did an amazing, powerful thing. That's how God works in our lives. And it happens, and and as I was looking at this, and as I was looking at this, I thought about this power is demonstrated when we begin to act. Luke 1 to 20, I won't read the whole passage because it's a long passage, but he sent the disciples out to evangelize. What happened? Does anyone know what happened when he sent those disciples out to evangelize? They saw Satan falling. They saw the power. They saw all this happening as they went out and spoke to people and talked to people. It wasn't a great big demonstration. They just saw it happening. This power happens when you start to exercise your gifts that God has given you. What does Timothy say? For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God gave us a spirit of not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As you start acting, what are you doing in the, in, the, in the church today? What are you doing in the fellowship? What role are you playing? Because when you start acting out, whether it's at the school or the college or at work or your neighbours, that's when you see God's power in. So many people are waiting for God to do something great in the sky or something, you know, suffering and all that. Why does he stop that? God's power is at work in you. You are his light. You are his instrument. I am his light. I am his instrument. This one is very controversial. When we are weak. When we are weak. You know this verse, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When you are weak, that's when you experience the power of God. You may see, see someone you want to talk to and you, you, you go up to them and oh, you start walking up to them and you say, oh, no, oh, no, yeah, I'll take the opportunity. In that moment when you're weak, God's power comes upon you and you say things. And, and many of you would have experienced this. You've said something, you said, I don't know where that came from. That's the power of God in you. That's why I said don't worry about what you say. What you say, when you face people because God's power comes upon you. It seems a contradiction, doesn't it, when we're talking about standing firm in Christ. I'm weak. But that's when you stand firm, when you recognise that you're weak and you say, Lord, I need you in my life. There's many stories, but we won't go through them. Later in Ephesians, you're going to look at Ephesians 3.20 which says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that is at work in us, the power of God. I'll leave that for whoever's preaching on that. But it's God's power working in us. And as I thought more about this, is what does the power do? Well, the power, the power has, it has power to transform us, change our lives, turn us around. You know, and I, I look at people and, and I get the amazing experience of talking with people and their testimonies and just how God has turned their lives around. You know, that's the power of the resurrection. It transforms us. 
It gives us power to face our inner hurts and fears. You know, it's sad when I see Christians locked into the useless of their past, of, the, of, of what the hurts have happened in them, the unforgiveness. God's power can change that and turn it around because it's the power of the resurrection. He can, he's got that power to, to give us the strength to face all this and to stand firm in Christ. He gives us the power to abandon evil. Titus 2, 11 to 14, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright godly lives. So many people are still bound by past sin or bound by, by habits that they can't break. Hey, we, we all sin even though we're Christians, even though we believe in Jesus Christ, but he gives us the power to say no. It's whether we tap into it or not. Whether we decide, look, I'm gonna, gonna face this and, and tap into God's power. You know, I, I love Charles Wesley's hymn, one of his hymn, uh, words of his hymn, which we're gonna sing later on. But I love these, these words from his hymn of Oath Out for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. That's the power of God. Do you believe in that? Do we believe in that as Christians? That God has the power to break us free from sin. We've talked about it. Les talked about it. We've sung about it. But is it here? It transforms. It has the power to change bad attitudes. It has the power to change behaviour. It has the power because he has cancelled our debt. It gives us the power to reach out to others and help them in their need. I love the story of one of the guy who married us in the Philippines, Koya Ray. He was in a hospital visiting someone and, you know, in the Philippines, we don't have free medical care. And he was sitting beside him and said, brother, I'll pray for you. So he sat down and he started praying. And he said, he was, he was praying that the guy would have the finances to, to pay for his, for his medical care. And as he was praying, he put his hand in his pocket. And he said, he said to me, while I was praying, I was praying for that finances will be made available and as I, as I was praying, my mind was in two minds because I'd put my hand in my pocket and there was 500 pesos that someone gave me this morning for me. And I'm praying for finance. I'm battling, should I give this to him? This is mine. <laughs> in the end, he gave it to him. But I think it's just, it's just that power to reach out to others. That's what God does in us. And this one, which should have been the first one, but I did it last, power to save us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's power is demonstrated when he brings a person to himself. God's power is demonstrated when a person comes to him in repentance, acceptance, saying, Lord, I am a sinner and I need you. And you see the power of God come upon that person and lift them up and say, you are now my child. That's an amazing power. Amazing power. 
And then we get to these last verses where we'll finish today. Christ's true position. All things are under him. I love Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which we won't read, but write it down. All things are under him. Why are we strong in Christ? Why can we stand firm in Christ? Because of the position of who Jesus Christ is. The creator. And on him all things are held. He has come into our lives. And it is him, not me, not you. It is him that helps us stand firm. And then he takes his rightful place as the head of the church. He is the head of the church. You know, I so often hear people say that they don't need fellowship. I'm working with a couple at the moment who've been out of fellowship for three years. They just don't need fellowship. Brothers and sisters, we need fellowship. We need to be, even if you struggle with people in the church, you need fellowship because you will not grow strong. You will not stand firm. Why are we gathered together? So to, yes, to remember him, but so that we may stir one another up, spur one another on to stay firm. And in this time, it is even more important. Because as said in Hebrews, in the last days, as you see him coming, we need to get together. We need to be together so that we can stand firm. Our last point is fools all in all, but we will stop there before I run out of time. But Well, I have, but never mind. People at home are used to that. People call, Paul is praying for us, praying for believers. So should we, that we would be enlightened. Christ is filling the universe with his glories by showing this universe through his body. We are the glory of Christ. We are the instruments he's using on earth. We are the ones he is using. And what a tremendous privilege to be able to show people that Christ is real. We are the body. We are the ones God has chosen to take out his message. But above all, we are the ones he's chosen to help us stand firm in Christ. You are who you are. I am who I am in Christ and in Christ alone. He's cancelled that sin. And I'm going to close at that. And just as we close, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, the team's going to come up and we're going to stand and sing that song, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. What an amazing song, amazing hymn. An amazing hymn. We are free, brothers and sisters, from the debt of sin. I don't know if that excites you. I, I don't know. I, I tend to be a little bit more passionate than that when it gets to those sorts of things, coming from an atheist background. But, I mean, when you look back at your life and you say, how in the world did God do that? Then you realise the power of the resurrection that cancelled my sin. Let's pray as the team, worship team comes up. Father, we thank you for this passage where Paul is praying for these Ephesians, encouraging them to be enlightened by your word, Lord, enlightened by the power of the resurrection, enlightened by the power of Christ in them, 
And Lord, we come before you right now, thanking you that you have cancelled that debt of sin, that you have freed us and called us your children. And because of that, Lord, we can now stand firm in you, not by our power, not by our strength, but by the power of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.